Hi everybody, welcome to And Then an Aeroplane, a Studio Ghibli rewatch podcast. Uh, my name is Autumn, and my co-host, as always, is M. Gundam time! Wait, that's not this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not, unfor- it unfortunately is not Gundam time. Um, not even close. Is this the... Is this the closest Ghibli's ever going to get to Gundam? No. No, no, no. <laughs> I would say probably uh, Laputa is the closest. Uh, okay, I know nothing about that movie, so. Yeah, that that mean, yeah. I, you know, Porco Rosso's got a bit in it. Uh, there's some stuff. Yeah, here and there. I just, I guess the Giant Warriors, but that's not Gundam. That's unfortunately some other mech anime <laughs> boy howdy is it uh, you have a we'll, we'll talk about it we'll talk about it because we'll talk geez. about it um so yeah hi everybody for the for this episode the second episode we'll we're watched uh bleh, we watched nausicaa of the valley of the wind yeah um nausicaa is the second movie by hayao miyazaki uh this also was technically not a Ghibli movie, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, like, they ended up buying all the, yes. like, the studio that animated this movie, and that yes. became Ghibli? Yeah, Topcraft, which was a Toei spinoff. Uh, okay. Yes, this is produced by Asao Takahata, who ends up being the main collaborator and co-founder of Ghibli forever. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, was based on a manga, uh, that, uh, Miyazaki had been writing in Anamaji magazine since 1982. Uh, this movie came out in 1984 when like th- two or three volumes of the manga route, the manga would continue to go on for about 10 more years. Um, if you want to listen to us cover the, me specifically cover the manga, I did it mm-hmm. with Jackson and our friend Rick on our other anime and manga podcast, Your Uncle's Beach House. You can find that at normalmapping.com. We're not covering the manga here, really, because uh, you haven't read it, right? No, I've read a little bit of the first volume, and I was surprised because my memories of the first volume, like, blended with this movie, but, like... Beyond that, I don't know anything about it, really. Okay. Well, if you want to hear about manga specifics, we'll talk a little bit as we cover this, probably a little bit. But I mostly want to focus on the movie, because on that episode, I mostly tried to focus on the manga, because I already knew this podcast was coming down the pike. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're like, oh, I need to know about the crazy shit at the end of the manga, I've got your back. (laughs) You can go listen to that podcast, because it's crazy shit. there's a Chocobo War. Um. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that manga that just doesn't exist here. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's the movie. Um, this is the first uh, Ghibli movie that has Joe Hisaishi doing the uh, score. And uh, do you want to tell us a bit about what this movie's about? Yeah. Um, so, a thousand years ago, um, giant warriors set the entire Earth on fire. And that's just kind of, we just uh, wander into the movie with that backdrop. Um uh, we get a couple scenes um, of like establishing like we meet Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and we kind of see like their very peaceful way of life um, and they live at the edge of the Sea of Decay, which is like a place that was particularly ravaged a thousand years ago. Um, and now there is like a toxic forest there that is like unsafe to breathe, but the Valley of the Wind is largely protected um by the ocean and the mountains around them things are pretty peaceful and calm in the valley of the wind until a plane from pejite i think i'm pronouncing that right 
um, crashes uh, nearby with uh, the like embryo of a uh, one of these giant warriors in the cargo, and um, then the like more and a more imperial nation from nearby Tolmechia shows up. They want to get that uh, giant warrior. They want to grow one. Because they want to set the world on fire again, basically. Because it'll be good this time, actually. Um, everybody in the Valley of the Wind thinks it's a terrible idea and tries to stop them. But Tolmechia, like, much more militarily powerful, starts occupying the Valley of the Wind. And so, as part of the occupation, um, a warrior queen lady in dope gold armor shows up... Um, and starts kind of bossing everyone around. Uh, her name is Kushana. Um, she decides to take Nausicaa and some hostages back to Tomekia to decide, like, what to do next with the Valley of the Wind and the Giant Warrior. Uh, but on their way, they are shot down by um, a boy from Pejite. They crash land in the toxic jungle, or this, the toxic forest. Um... And there, they have all sorts of revelations, like the giant bugs, called the Ohm, um, are actually pretty calm and not as aggressive as many people believe. Um, the Sea of Decay and the Toxic Forest are actually purifying water and air um, in a way that people don't realize, and Nausicaa is really committed to trying to protect these things. Meanwhile, Tolmechia and... Everybody else is committed to, like, burning it all down. Kushana goes back to the Valley of the Wind and continues trying to get the giant warrior up and running. Um, meanwhile, Nausicaa goes to Pejite and finds it destroyed by... Um, finds it destroyed by these giant... these massive bugs called the Ohm. Um, and the people of Pejite say, Oh, we let the ohm destroy our city so they would destroy the tolmechian occupiers here now we're going to go destroy the valley of the wind too we're going to destroy the warrior we're going to destroy everything um and nausicaa goes back to the valley of the wind she is able to save everyone because she is the like mystical foretold warrior princess uh who's able to stop the her herd of ohm from destroying the valley of the wind is able to you know get everyone to kind of reconcile their differences and uh, save the day. That was really long <laughs> because this movie moves at a million miles a minute, it feels like. <sighs> Trying to decide where I want to start now. So you've seen this movie before, be multiple times, I have times, seen right? this movie before. I have seen this movie twice before. I thought, before we started, before we went in to watch today, I thought I had watched the dub both times, but I don't think I have seen the dub before today, or before I watched it most recently, because that dub was new and strange to me. Okay. I don't think I had seen the subs before watching it for this podcast, because I was surprised by a lot of the uh, sub differences uh, with the Japanese mm -hmm. cast. I, I was like 50-50, because um, I think the biggest... The biggest weird thing with the dub for me is that they don't call it the Sea of Decay. They call it the Toxic Jungle, mm -hmm. which is a translation difference that I was, like, unsure of. And then I was watching it, and I was like, but maybe I watched this. Maybe I'm just misremembering. 
And then Patrick Stewart shows up, and I'm like, I've definitely never seen Patrick Stewart in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is uh, one of the... Like we're going to cover most of these movies, especially the Miyazaki ones, have Disney-led uh, localizations, which means you get incredibly stacked voice casts. Um, mm-hmm. And so, in the English version, uh, you get Alison Lohman as Nausicaa, Patrick Stewart as Lord Yupa, Shia LaBeouf as Asbel, Uma Thurman as Kushana, Chris Sarandon as Kurotoa, Edward James Olmos as Mito. Uh, those are like That's the big wild. ones. Mark Hamill's in there. Um, because it was 2005 and they had all the money in the world and they weren't spending it on Star Wars and Marvel. So, uh. <laughs> um, God, they really spent a lot of money on that voice cast. Th- this will be true for most of the movies we watch. The dub casts are stacked. Uh, and that's why, like, I, I will probably try to watch them in both languages, but I've always, like, enjoyed the dubs of these, uh, Ghibli movies because I feel like a lot of care and, like, mm celebrity casting but not like DreamWorks style like stunt celebrity casting goes into these um yeah i feel like patrick stewart is really good in the role yeah um and like uma thurman is not like my first choice i don't think she's like great in this but uh like i think she does fine work and she's not someone i would think of as like an obvious voice actor choice for this like coming off of kill bill let's get her to be in this anime from the (laughs) 80s um but yeah, I I feel like the cast is like either really good or like does just fine. Uh, I just found like some of the translation was like a little off in a few places. And the biggest thing for me was like calling it the um, toxic jungle felt like such a different connotation from calling it the sea of decay that it was like really distracting me every time that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's a pretty solid dub. Um I, you tweeted about this, otherwise I would have never known this. In the sub, um, uh, Kushana is played by Haman Khan's voice actress, yeah, so which is I, if we're, fucking incredible. If we're going to run down the main cast in English, we might as well run them down in Japanese and then talk a little bit about this. Mm. So Nausicaa uh, is played by Sumi Shimamoto, who does great work. Uh, I think I prefer her much over... Uh, I think I do too. Alison Lohman, which is fine. Uh, she does a lot of voices through in Ghibli movies. She does, she did Clarice and Cagliostro. She's going to be in Totoro and Princess Mononoke. Um, mm-hmm. just a, you know, working voice actor. Wikipedia did not helpfully suggest, like, she's known for X as the big thing. Right. Um, and as Lord Yupi, you have Goro Naya, who's mostly known as the voice of Zenigata. And it's incredibly distracting to me because all I hear is Zenigata. <laughs> I, and he, he sounds so much younger than, uh, Patrick Stewart in the role, uh, cause he doesn't mm-hmm. quite, I mean, he's not, he's around the same age as Patrick Stewart, but his voice sounds so much, and this is the difference between 84 and 90, or 2005, I guess, but Patrick Stewart brings such like an elderly gravitas to Lu- Yupa that I think is not in the original Japanese. Um, yeah. That I think like really, I think, I will think of Patrick Stewart when I think of this character in the future. Mm-hmm. I think like he, yeah, fits this really well. Uh, and then as uh, as Asbel, you have uh, Yoji Matsuda, who I mostly know of. He's going to be in Princess Mononoke when we get there. Uh, okay, does not seem like he has a ton of roles. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, the actual most important reason to watch the Japanese version <laughs> as uh, as. Uh, 
what's her name? Princess Kushana? Kushana, right? Yes, Kushana mm-hmm. is yeah. uh, Yoshiko Sakibara. Yoshiko Sakakibara, who did Haman Karn in Gundam. Uh, she's in Pat Labor. Uh, she's a major character in Cobra the Animation. She's in Sailor Moon towards the end. She's all over anime. Just a classic ass voice actress. She's been working. I mean, she's still working. Like, there's credits from 2017. So I, she's in a Fire Emblem Echoes. So <laughs> she's incredible. Yes. In this movie. Uh, because she is just doing the Haman voice, yes, and it works. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, um, as uh, let's see, the last role I had here was uh, Kuroto. We have Iemasu Kiyumi, who is known for all sorts of things. He was in Ashita no Joe. He was in Kashan. He was in a bit of Lupin. Just seems like he just litters eighties anime and uh, mm-hmm. worked through the, the odds. Has a bunch of credits. Uh, he's a he's a major character in Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood. <laughs> I just saw that. Okay, okay. I've never seen the sub of that. I no. read it, so I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, for me, it's it's the performances of Nasuka and Kushana. I think are much stronger in the Japanese version. Um, mm-hmm. I think Patrick Stewart's great. Uh, the actual standout here is Chris Sarandon as Kurotoa because he turns yes. him into a ridiculous, slimy clown, just like the most henchman henchman possible. And it's really funny and out of nowhere because I didn't realize watching the original that that's not what that character is because in the manga, that character goes through a lot and is like just seemingly indestructible and becomes kind of a weird, like pitiable clown just by how much mis- misfortune befalls him. Um, mm-hmm. But he starts off as just Kushana's like kind of evil looking lieutenant. And I like that the English version plays him broader than that. Yeah. Um, he reminds me a lot of the count from Cagliostro, uh, yes. um, just in the way that he's like always talking out of the side of his mouth. Yes. But like here, he's not the villain. He's like, you know, he yeah, he's the shitty henchman version of the exact same dude. Yep. And he's he's great. He seals the scenes he's in. Yeah. Um, so that's the voice cast. We like this movie. I don't think we need to like you know, get to, like, talk around that point too much. We both think this movie's fantastic. Yeah, it's one of my, uh, I have it in my letterbox as my fourth favorite movie, and I would stand by that. Like, it's fucking great. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't know if any Ghibli movie would make it into my top four. Mm-hmm. What is my letterbox top four? Vamp, I'll pull up my letterbox top four. We'll just do this, whatever. <laughs> this is our podcast. We can do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, we. no one's stopping us from just pulling up our letterbox top fours right now if you want to follow me on letterbox um, it's at em underscore being um i don't update it as much as i should uh i'm at ally coffee on there ali coffee uh yeah i've got nausicaa uh godzilla final wars pan's labyrinth and alien i i maybe need to knock godzilla final wars out of there uh it's a good movie but uh <laughs> i have i have modern times uh clueless redline and barry linden which I think is a pretty good sampler okay. of my taste in film. Okay. Um, I've seen three of those. I have not seen Clueless. What? I can't, why is that the one you're missing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's outrageous. <laughs> I think it's because, I think I was because I was like a teenage film boy and I was like, oh, Clueless, that's like, 
that's for girls or something. I think that's what I was told. I was, I I was the teenage film boy 18. who was watching Clueless furtively by myself and making sure no one knew about it. So <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I like the thing, the thing with Nausicaa, like the thing that happened when I was watching it for the first time and when Nora was watching with, with me for the first time just the other day is that like, it's one of the most influential movies I've ever seen. Like, you just watch it and you start to realize, oh, everything I like is influenced by Nausicaa. Yeah, the the movie came off of an already really popular uh, manga. And, you know, if you're, not, if you're not, like, up on anime and manga, manga is much more prevalent and popular in Japan than anime is. Um, everyone reads manga. Um, Mm. and so the manga was already big and then the film was huge. And so, yes, this is, this is just actually one of the most influential anime and manga that exists. (laughs) Yeah. And you like, it, it was funny just sitting next to Nora on Sunday and just being like, oh yeah, here's like something I recognize from Wind Waker. Here's like all these bug designs show up in Metroid. Here's like, you know. Yep. This and that. And that's just like the two video games that sprung to my mind. Uh, yep. Uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, who created Final Fantasy, said, yeah, this. This is what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, just at every turn, this is what he's doing. J.J. Abrams has said The Force Awakens is influenced by this movie. Like, it's just all, all up and down in history. I was uh, trying to find the Toonami trailer for this movie right before we started recording mm-hmm. and saw someone recut this trailer in the in the style of the force awakens trailer and it sucked ass <laughs> i don't have anything to say about that except that i saw it and it sucked uh, fair enough um so yeah we have uh like the first of many ecologically minded miyazaki things um, and this is the thing that will keep coming up but this one happens to be based off of a really dense manga and thus i feel mm-hmm. like uh, compared to many of these, I feel like it's the thing it's about is so much more robust than a lot of future ones. Like we're kind of talking ahead of the timeline here, but this movie basically being about the humans discovering that ecology is complicated and hard to understand and the delicate balance of it is like, even now is like the kind of story that normally it's like, oh, we find the new technology that will save the planet. Not the, the earth will do its thing and we need to like, let it be in peace and do that thing. Which is the heart yeah, of this movie. Um, the like the very last shot of this movie being like a tree sprouting is like it's extremely unsubtle about what it is, but like I feel like that's a shot that does not get like referenced in other things that are thinking about, you know, the same things that Nausicaa is thinking yeah, about. Yeah, because like Nausicaa's morals are like the earth is totally fucked, but it will unfuck itself over time. Like if you give it 10,000 years, the world will be purified. The question if humans are going to be a part of that is up to humans to decide. Right. Uh, Which is like a, you know, a post-civilization take on ecology that is increasingly becoming relevant for, you know, real life reasons. (laughs) Yeah. uh, When I first saw this movie, I think two years ago uh, was also when I was starting to get like, uh, to understand like, Oh, we might be totally fucked in the next 50 years. <laughs> and, like, it really, like, hits you hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, 
This movie doesn't pull punches in that sense. Yeah, um, but it's not also like it's not despairing, and it's not mm-hmm. it's not cynical about like it it recognizes the reality of even at the end of the world for human civilization, human beings are just going to keep fighting their wars and struggle with the same bullshit that human history has always struggled with, uh, mm-hmm. and it is like that compassion and willingness to understand the world that will help uh, and be the way out. Um, like yeah. we're going to get to Mononoke in a couple of months and we're going to get the opposite of this where everything is fucked and humanity is just going to destroy the earth and there's nothing anyone can do. Um, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, one of the first movies produced after the end of the Nazca manga. Uh, yeah, that was something you mentioned in the, um, in the, uh, episode of Beach House. And I thought that was really interesting because like having listened to that episode, um, and then going back to this movie, I can start to see how this is like a very compressed version of another story. Like before when I've seen it, like I've always thought of it as like a very self-contained thing. And I didn't understand how the manga would have so much more. But now I could kind of see it hinting at like, oh, there's like s- three or four other nations that I just don't know anything about. And Tolmechia seems to be like warring with like all these other things that I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. So much of the manga, like this movie mostly covers, you know, early stuff with the manga. Um, Tolmechia ends up getting blown out into a much bigger, like interfactional conflict where Kushana's uh, feuding with like three of her brothers who are also generals on other wars and ropes Nausicaa into helping her um, against the mm-hmm. emperor. And it's more complicated. And then the, giant warrior shows up way later so it was probably a hell of a surprise when it showed up in the manga at that point um but is more of a character it isn't just a gun that is fired once and then falls apart into meat soup mm-hmm. <laughs> should we should we talk about the thing with the giant warrior firing itself once and becoming meat soup? it's amazing the like <laughs> the shot where it lifts itself over the edge of the hill is just literally ripped from Godzilla, like the original Godzilla, when Godzilla yes. rears up over the hill. And it's just like, because Kushana rolls up on her tank and she points at, like, at the thing that, like, the Omu thing that the Omu swarm that's coming. And then this giant warrior comes up and it's just the grossest, most pathetic, disgusting oh, thing the in the world. Um, and it fires, it's like one nuclear beam and then falls apart. And it's incredible how impotent mm. it is. Even it does a ton of destruction, but the ways in which in this movie, it is like played as like the hubris of mankind is not just to wield a gun, but to not even be able to wield the gun properly at this point. Like that's how far mm-hmm. the civilization's fallen. Well, and like, we're going to like shoot off our nukes at like the bugs, but like, there are more bugs than like one laser can get. Like nature is so much more like vast than the humans like know and can comprehend. And like, it's so arrogant that they think that they could just take out the herd with one laser beam. Yes. You know, I, um, I also think it's funny the way that the, the giant warriors are established in the opening narration in the seven days of fire, just like, you know, seven giant mechs wrecking shit over the modern world. Uh, and you're, and if you're like a modern person, you're like, oh, right, they're Ava. I get it. Cause they look like mm-hmm. Ava and the, the way they're depicted in that opening is Ava. And what comes up is just this like horrible flesh homunculus that's dying. Um, and it's not cool. And it's mm-hmm. extremely good that it's not. It's like, it's just sad. It's like, even if you, recognize that these that these things are awful like mechs in anime and like ava and gundam and the things that you know we talk about are Mm. 
you always live on the knife's edge of you know this thing is bad but it's cool and it, the coolness is part of understanding the metaphor it's working in in the world but this is mm-hmm. this is not even that this is like you know this is the this is the mines left in a field for children to step on like there's nothing cool about this it's a forgotten weapon discarded from a war that's ended out of everyone's memory right and like everybody in this movie like and I don't remember if this is a thing from the movie. I might. I think I'm just remembering this from the first volume of the manga. But like, they don't really know how to build any of the planes they're flying around anymore. They only know how to maintain all these. Yeah, that, planes. that's from the and manga. So, that's like, not. I, that doesn't show up in the movie, unfortunately, because it is good. Yeah, and so like, I I love the like contrast beh- between like. Oh yeah, we don't know anything about these planes that we're flying around all the time. Mm-hmm. But we we think we know enough about this giant warrior that we can just unleash it on the world. Yeah. You know. Um the other thing like this is according to Wikipedia because I thought I'd heard something about this and I went to go double check. Uh apparently uh Anno was one of the key animators yes. on yes. the <laughs> on the giant warrior stuff, which was funny because yeah, you watch that and it is just Ava. It's just that. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I think of like the giant laser sweep that, and then the huge like delayed explosion as like the Ano laser. Like it's just the thing mm-hmm. that's in like Ava and Gunbuster and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um. Um, God, I'm just, I'm thinking about Kushana because we were talking about her for a second and I just love her running around in her gold fuck off armor for this whole movie <laughs> which which is like a like it's an ostentatious ostentatious look to be in gold plate armor the entire time but also like two-thirds late the movie reveals that the gold like the armor is prosthetics because she's missing at least mm-hmm. one arm and probably one leg the way like later she's in a dress but she still has an armored arm and an armored leg uh, yeah, yeah. Which, like, she's literally running around Full Metal Alchemist style at the end of this movie, which is <laughs> also very good. Um, And, like, I think there's a really interesting, like, contrast between her and Nausicaa, because I, I feel like the thing I really like about both Nausicaa and her is that, like, they're women who are just, who are in positions where they have to be responsible for any, everything and they're just able to take that on. Like they're just able to do everything for everyone. Yeah. Um, except that Kushana is evil. <laughs> well, I don't, evil yeah. is a subjective considering the, the movie literally ends with them shaking hands and Kushana flying off. Like she's not, yeah, she's I, not like she's, a bad guy in the way that like the count of Cagliostro is a bad guy. Right. <laughs> right. Um, um, but also like Kushana is a character that comes in with ta- like literal tanks, uh, and mm-hmm. giant airplanes and her bionic arm and leg and is someone who's uses technology to impose will. Whereas Nasca's living with a population that seemingly everyone like dies of a wasting disease as they go older, right? Like they're exposed to spores. Mm-hmm. Eventually their joints seize up and it seems like a pretty painful, ignoble way yeah. for, that everyone goes like literally the entire, like that's just everyone's fate. Like her father has it. Uh, the old men have it um, mm-hmm. inevitable. And she's looking for like a, a more like ecologically science based, like she's basically looking for new medicines in the toxic jungle. Right. 
Like, Mm -hmm. and by growing the spores and discovering that they are not actually the thing that's the toxins, it's the ground that the spores are purifying. So you could just make the spores not toxic if they were planted in something that wasn't, you know, all poison. Right, right, right. And like, this, the scene where, um, like they go down and see Nausicaa's like secret garden of the toxic plants, Mm -hmm. I don't, it's just like something that, uh, or the no longer toxic plants, um. Is something that always sticks with me so much um, because it's just like it's just a gorgeous scene. Like the background paintings of the like plants are gorgeous and um, like I don't know. It's just it's a thing that sticks with me and like nothing like there's no big character moment there. I don't remember, but like. Well, the thing, well, I, the thing, no, is, the thing I like is Yupa goes down and discovers that she's like got this thing, and the way he descends in the castle is like if he was going to find Frankenstein's monster lab, right? Like it's literally depicted right, as a mad right. scientist thing. And he opens his door, and she's just in this garden, like quietly taking mm-hmm. notes on like fertilizer and water levels, because her life is she's the princess who's out doing these excursions, she's taking care of her dying father, but also she's like doing this homegrown science that no one knows about. Um, and the thing that she does in that moment is like shutting it down because she doesn't think it's going to help because everything else is literally on fire at that moment. Uh, Mm -hmm. and the way in which like, if this was a different style of movie, she would have concocted like the oxygen destroyer in Godzilla or whatever the like MacGuffin is to solve everything. What she actually has just like a one more piece of knowledge about how the world works, uh, which helps her to gain understanding of what's going on at the end of the movie, but is not like Mm -hmm. the solution because there is no solution. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and we come in on her like sleeping at her table too, because like she's the princess and she's going out on all these adventures and she's doing this. And and, like Nausicaa is a very like put upon person. And like, this is the one moment where she's going to like fall asleep at her um, desk because like, She's down below the castle where no one's going to see her. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I really love Nausicaa's character. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. That's also the scene where, like, um, she talks to Yupa about, um, in, like, in an earlier, in the scene just before this, um, the Tolmechian soldiers show up and kill her dad. And like Nausicaa kills like six dudes before she even like gets a grip on what she's doing. And like, that's the scene where she's like, Oh, I don't want to be the warrior princess. Who's going to kill a bunch of people to protect my Valley. Like I want to find a way, uh, that's not just like continuing all the wars. Yes. This, this is a thread that continues on throughout the entirety of the manga and is much more nuanced (laughs) and difficult to encapsulate easily. But the tension between Nausicaa being someone who is rightfully enraged by the situation and the hopelessness of it all, but also wants Mm -hmm. to be like the good leader who can help people without violence and how impossible that can be in desperate situations is a major undercurrent of especially the back half of the manga. So if you're interested Mm -hmm. in that, definitely read the books. (laughs) I I have all the manga and I'm, I think I did want to, I thought about starting them yesterday and I decided I didn't want to like mix up. Yeah, no, that's probably for the best. (laughs) because <laughs> i would only have gotten through like this half of the second volume yeah. like i wouldn't have gotten that far so i didn't want to mix things up but i'm probably gonna 
like pick it up on my like lunch breaks at work now mm-hmm. um um i think the the art in the manga i think is really good and it also is just reminding me of like it's impossible for me when i read the little bit of the manga like the color in this movie is like so much of this movie to me like um we get a lot of the like um as you were saying last week, like the Japanese Europe stuff in um, the Valley of the Wind. Yeah. Uh, but then you also like in the Forest of Decay or Toxic Jungle, whatever you want to call it, I go, I mm-hmm. interchange them. You get like yeah. this sort of abstract, like, uh, like organic surrealism that evokes to me like like there's a French movie called Fantastic Planet. I think it's Fantastic Voyage. It's an animated movie, I think from the seventies, uh, that is like very strange kind of cut out flat animation. And that's always what mm-hmm. the stuff in the toxic jungle and the Omu themselves evoke for me because the Omu mm-hmm. are really interesting because they, they work as, cause they're not animated like the rest of the objects. They are huge background plates that, that yeah. they that they have like parallaxing against each other uh and they're drawn like background plates like they have like pencil animation and painted the way that stuff in the background is not how movable objects are so they end up feeling monolithic and otherworldly even in the context of what a cartoon is uh and i mm-hmm. really like that about them because they just feel they they look like something the way they're drawn that shouldn't be moving and yet here they are colossal bugs crawling through the desert Yeah, and, like, so much of how the insects are drawn and how the forest is drawn, like, for all of Nausicaa's influence on, like, so, so much of what I like, 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 that's just not something that I ever see captured in anything else because it's just, like, I think probably just, like, unique to Miyazaki's imagination of just, like, I think all that stuff is really gorgeous and just, like, very otherworldly in a lot of places. Um, and like, it's a, it's a big part, like, like how gorgeous all those, the forest and the bugs look is like a big part of why this movie captures my imagination so much. Uh, the movie I was thinking of, by the way, is the 1973 film Fantastic Planet, uh, by Rene Lalo, um, which, uh, has Nausicaa's stuff evokes for me. And it's a good movie. It's, it's also very good. Uh, Okay. Oh, I like this poster. Um, anyway, um... what was uh, the other the thing I like about the Omu specifically being like that is that the rest of the bugs are just like. There's something about this movie where like I don't like bugs. I think we have a spider outside mm-hmm. on our patio right now that I cannot bring myself to get rid of because just look thinking about a spider will creep me out too much. But yes, the bugs in yes. this movie are friends, and I like them a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm intensely the same. Like I'm not insects don't bother me, but like so arachnophobic i can't look at a picture of a spider Mm -hmm. but like and i bugs are a little weird to me but like these are just like yeah they're these are gorgeous and like it's so weird how it doesn't like mess with my phobias at all because they're just like like i I just want to hug them all (laughs) um 
other points just in terms of like this is a movie on this spectrum of Ghibli movies is I like how much the Tomekian soldiers evoke the ninjas of Cagliostro. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They are they are like, you know, soldiers with helmets on, uh, like storming planes with swords, but they have the same kind of like mass swarm quality that the ninjas had and the anonymity that they had where they're just like bodies with like pointy bits coming out of them right as they charge through the very narrow uh, pathways of planes and get in it seems like getting in a sword fight on a plane worst place to get in a sword fight just miserable because it's just it's just two crushes of bodies like murdering each other uh Mm -hmm. and uh that stuff's really good and then your lord yupa coming in like gliding in like he is batman uh with his cape billowing behind him not even like moving as he lands it's so good I had a much worse thought, which was this was the Yoda demand moment. Oh. Um, because, <laughs> because we'd watched Revenge of the Sith, like, the day before, and I was just... <laughs> the di- the I, difference here is that Lord Yupa is introduced as, like, a sword master, and Yoda was... Mm. Literally an entire movie was spent with him telling the hero, swords don't matter, you need to, like, get good with our space magic. Uh, mm-hmm. And instead he pulls out a little lightsaber and just flips around the Emperor. Uh, and it sucks. <laughs> But we're not here to talk about Star Wars. We can't talk about Star Wars in this podcast. we cannot. We cannot. (laughs) I'm already talking about Star Wars too much. Um, But yeah, like, Yupa doing, like, eight backflips to drop into this plane is fucking great. Well, he does it. That's the thing, though. He doesn't, like, he he does a lot of cool stuff when he lands, but him getting onto the plane is literally him, like, static, his arms, like, crossed across his chest and his knees tucked up as he just glides in and lands, and then uh, the swords come out and he starts stabbing everyone, and it's great. I also had not noticed until this uh, uh, time watching it that Yupa has incredible hair in the one scene where he's not wearing a hat. Yes. He's got... (laughs) He's got the sides shaved and just like a big puff of hair on top yes. that's fucking great. It's very cool. <laughs> I just I had never seen it before. Like I just never like registered it until this. Yeah, because I mostly think of him as like all hat and mustache, right? Like there's Right, right. <clears throat> um I feel like I've said everything I have to say. That's like not pertaining to the questions we have. The one thing that I don't like about this movie, and I don't think mm. the scene might be in the manga too, and I don't like it there either. I just don't think it's necessary. Is I really hate the not not a flashback, a metaphor. I don't know of little yeah. little Nausicaa discovering the baby Om. It doesn't make sense to me that it ex- that it's real it feels like it's like a dream but either way if it's a metaphor or her actual memories i think it's bad i think it's really on the nose and unnecessary yeah i feel like i under everything that scene is supposed to tell me about her character i already understood and so i don't know what it's there for other than just like the ohm can give people dream visions or something yeah. and she's like, she's exhibited a sympathy for the wildlife of the toxic jungle already like eight times. I don't mm-hmm. need to be told that as a child, she was also a kind heart or if this is all metaphor, yeah. I don't need to know that she's the only one who's been brave enough to like, we need to understand the bugs and not just destroy them. The rest of the movies have done a really good job of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what it's there for. I was also, um, and if I'm thinking back to, like, your episode about the manga, maybe this would make more sense. But there's the scene 
where um, I almost called him Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Asbel, Asbel, who doesn't matter. Is... <laughs> if, you, if you're like, why didn't they bring up the boy? He doesn't matter is why. He does not matter. <laughs> He's the least important person. He does fly a TIE fighter. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he does do um, that. So he's um, shooting down their planes and like Nausicaa like new type flashes at him and he decides to not shoot at her. Oh, the thing I, the thing here is that uh, she looks just like his sister who was our, was the one who was captured okay. on the on the um, Tomekian plane and died. Yeah, I was never sure like is she magic or like no she just looks like just, she just yeah. looks like a sister. Also, I. Do they do they have the same is it at the end of the movie she like leaps down in the little basket with the guys shooting and they have the same reaction right where they're like it's the it's the princess of oh, campfire oh yeah cuz she looks yeah, just yeah. like that character yes yes uh, i guess that was just not something i registered at all and it was like a very strange yes. moment it is uh in the manga she spends more time in Pejit and meets like all of that family and it makes a little more sense but Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just that she looks like that other girl who died after, like, saying, uh, these people are bad who have captured me before dying. If you have questions for us about this movie, future movies, past movies, whatever you want, really, we'll answer whatever you send. Basically, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, we have five questions this time. Uh, the first one is from Rick, uh, who was on the episode about the manga. So uh, he was like, I didn't really want to talk about the obvious plot because we've already covered that. Um, but did ask in the early 80s when after the, suge- uh, the success of Cagliostro, uh, what if Miyazaki got his wish and instead of turning his comic into a film, which we didn't talk about, uh, we talked about in the manga one. The only reason he agreed to the manga is if they didn't have him adapt it into a movie. And then it was so popular that they asked him to adapt it into a movie and he did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, what if instead of him doing his own comic, they got him to do a movie project based on an anime of the time? Which contemporary or near contemporary anime of this time would you have liked to see in an early Ghibli or Ghibli, sorry, spin on? Um, so Rick blessedly sent this in a few days before um, to give us some time to think about it. And then I didn't spend enough time thinking about it. Um, I have a like, I have a slightly violating the timeline answer. Um, please hit me with the slightly violating. The so timeline. this movie came out in 1984 a manga that also premiered in 1984 that I think I would love to see an early Ghibli take on is Dragon Ball. I, I was going, I was going to say that as a joke, so I'm glad you said it in, in earnest. I actually think that this era of Miyazaki would make an amazing, like not necessarily canon version of like Goku and Bulma going on an adventure. I think it'd be really mm-hmm. good. Seeing him draw all the like Toriyama landscapes at the very least yes. would be worth it. To yes. Me. Um, I was also, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage answering this because um, I the only '80s anime I'm really familiar with are mecha shows, and I 
can't think of any mecha anime that I would want Ghibli doing. You don't want you don't want uh, you don't want Miyazaki's version of Gundam. Uh, well, so the one thing I thought of is like I haven't seen War in the Pocket, but like that seems like the best fit, you know. And that's like eighty nine. <laughs> you so really that's... haven't seen War in the Pocket then. <laughs> <laughs> but like. You should, watch, you should watch the, War in the Pocket. Not to, like, I be should. the Gundam person again and still, mm-hmm. uh, but you should watch War in the Pocket. <laughs> I should. You can watch that in There's a, a single afternoon. Watch. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, the, the Ghibli version of the, like, Gundam show that's not as much mecha fighting, like, makes sense to me. But, yeah, haven't seen that yes. show, if, so I can't actually. <laughs> if you want the Gundam version of Ghibli movies, you can watch Mobile Suit Victory Gundam, which uh, we're covering mm-hmm. on The Great Gundam Project right now, uh, because it's that. It extremely is that. There's literal entire sequences that are just lifted out of, like, Kiki's Delivery Service in that uh, show. It's weird. Um, <sighs> I need to catch up. Uh, the last thing I saw was uh, her being the most like a shrike. Okay. Um... So we have an email from Nora. Uh-huh. Uh, so Nora sent in a long email that I will try to summarize briefly. Uh, Nora's really struck by it. Uh, didn't love it, but liked a lot of the pieces. Uh, loved the glider, uh, the giant warrior. We didn't really talk about the glider, despite the fact that this uh, podcast is ostensibly flight-focused. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm, there's a lot mm-hmm. of good planes, and then she just has a cool, like, ion engine glider in the middle of all of these, like, prop planes. It's very neat. <laughs> I'm really thinking about getting a glider tattoo on my leg or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nora, um, her questions were, Nasca clearly inspired a lot of stuff, but what facet of this movie would you like to see expanded or spun out or on or reapproach that has not been touched upon already? What untapped inspiration do you see here that you would want in, more of in future media? Which I... Saw this question like three days ago, and I'm not sure off the top of my head. Hmm. Uh, the thing that I think would be, it's not like at some point you, I, I suppose I say the idea before I critique my idea, but what mm-hmm. I would like is more of like Nausicaa as this scientist discovering this fake ecology. And I understand on some level you're like making the Skyrim chart of alchemic solutions, like it just turns into lore wank if you focus on that too much. But I would like mm-hmm. a nice story about like the like boots on the ground field work that is even in a fantasy realm, like understanding ecologies and the world because it's yeah. not all flying planes, right? It's, it's her going out and collecting six spore samples every time and almost dying. Right. And like, this is so influential on so many like adventure stories, but like they don't take like so many of those adventures don't have like the really strong theming. I think that this movie does, mm-hmm. um, and like just the willingness to beat you over the head with the message a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Nora also asks, what kind of treats do you think Tato likes best? Is am I am I saying that right? Yeah, I think it's Tato. Uh um so uh Tato is seen eating a nut, despite the fact that I'm pretty sure foxes are carnivorous. So I don't understand how what Tato eats at all, honestly. <laughs> yeah, maybe Maybe Tato should have some, like, beef jerky or something. I don't know. But, yeah, I was going to say, like, all the bugs are poison, so you can't eat the bugs. Uh, mm. Also, they're all bigger than Tato by a lot. So I, a lot. I assume Tato's, like, a scavenger that mostly just exists off of, like, the dregs of what this, like, human civilizations have. 
at this point. Mm-hmm. Like whatever these little foxes are. Uh, they do say it's like a sand fox, right? So it's probably from far away from the Valley of the Wind, where maybe the ecology right. is different. Right. Um, I want to know so much about the like fake chocobos they have in Nausicaa, too. They're just Which chocobos. Know, like, <laughs> like, they're, just chocobos. they're not fake chocobos. <laughs> chocobos are fake these things in Nausicaa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... Uh, there's a there's a great sequence in the manga where there's like a huge conflict and they literally Final Fantasy X ride the chocobos into battle and it's cool. <laughs> uh, so we have another question from Adam. Uh, saw Nausicaa the first time last spring. Uh, thought it was a cool experience. It was kind of underwhelming. I think maybe seeing the various writings about Mizaki and Ghibli over the years drastically inflated my expectations for Nausicaa. And ended up feeling disappointed when I realized I didn't like it as much as Castle in the Sky or Spirited Away. Uh, did you also have high expectations for Nausicaa the first time you saw it? Or any of the other Ghibli films you've seen? How did those expectations affect your ability to enjoy the work? Um, I so, s- oh, go ahead. You go first. You go. Okay. I'll go. <laughs> uh, I saw this relatively early in watching Ghibli movies. And I just thought it was cool. The thing that Nausicaa has is it's got that cool 80s sci-fi stuff and like 70s mm-hmm. sci-fi stuff that the rest of Ghibli's catalog really doesn't like there's going to be mechs and cows in the sky a little bit and there's going to be like the war over ecology in uh in Princess Mononoke I almost said Mononoke Hime like a bad person um <laughs> uh, but the the difference in this is like the the amalgam feels so different to what I think of as like the Miyazaki style, despite the fact that Nausicaa is the prototype of the Miyazaki heroine in the same way like Clarice was, right? Uh, but the world right. feels so different to me that it, it, it just feels cool in a way that the other ones don't. Um, in terms of like ones that I ended up being disappointed by, it was Princess Monoke, but I haven't seen it since I was a literal teenager and I'm in my thirties. So it's been a while. Um, uh, so I really had the reverse experience of Adam where I watched Nausicaa and I had a lot of expectations of it because I I knew how influential it was, but like watching it, it just like blew my mind as I've said so many times on the show. Yes. Whereas like the first time I sp- saw Spirited Away, I went in feeling like a pressure of like, I have to like this movie or I'm wrong, you know, and it ended up like spoiling that movie for a little a little bit for me. And I've warmed on Spirited Away a lot uh since then but like when i first saw it it was like spirited away was weighed down by my expectations and like knowing that it's like the big important ghibli movie that's like influential on so many things and blah 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 blah. uh we'll talk about it more when we get there but i saw spirit away was my second uh miyazaki movie so i had seen uh princess monoke and hated it so i was expecting to hate spirited away and was primed to just be absolutely blown away by that movie Uh, yeah i think like um i think there there was wrong about that there was a huge swath of my life where it would have been on my letterbox top four I I could be wrong about this. I think it was my first Miyazaki and my third Ghibli movie. I think okay. I'd seen Arietti and um, Grave of the Fireflies before I saw Spirited Away. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I really, I did not know what I was in for with Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. Um, only that it was important, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've warmed on Spirited Away considerably since that first time. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we have an email from uh, Jen, uh, who watched this movie for the first time because of us. Uh, thank you for watching along with us, always. Mm-hmm. Um, Jen was really taken by the art direction, include, especially the Ohm and the Toxic Jungle. I uh, was talking about how Hollow Knight seems influenced by this. Yeah, a lot of things. <laughs> Just the laundry yeah. list goes on <laughs> <Yeah>. forever. Um <laughs> Uh, before I began the movie, I figured I'd ask a question about Miyazaki and his lengthy catalog of films with environmental issues. As someone who spends too much time engrossed in the news, it's hard not to feel despair about the state of the planet. Uh, how does one maintain an optimistic attitude when they're surrounded by ever-present doom? And then uh, she ended up uh, following up with Nausicaa answered this question in the way that the movie deals with this thing of fighting back from the brink, even if it's just making sure humanity doesn't cause more damage as the Earth cleanses itself, uh, which is good. Uh, definitely revisit this topic when we get to uh, Princess Mon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, follow-up question, did this movie and potentially Miyazaki's other works also instill in you a sense of hope, or did you find the vision of all the aggressors coming together in peace at the end, infeasible for the real world? Um, you want to answer? Yeah. Um, this is like really complicated for me because I feel like, I feel like most people are, really going through it with regards to these questions right now um and like for me i feel like there's part of me that's just like i have to accept that like humans are not like we don't need to be around forever and like i'm cool if the earth is fine without us but that feels bleak sometimes when I think like 50 years into the future and how I will still be alive and the earth will be on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Nausicaa makes me feel hopeful in that like, I know that like, Nausicaa makes me feel hopeful because I know the earth will recover from whatever we do for it, to whatever we do to it. And also like, Nausicaa, the character, um, is just, like, a really inspirational sort of person to me of just, like, I know I have 8,000 responsibilities, and I'm stressed, but I'm just going to do it. And, like, I just have to kind of push through and, like, do all the things that are expected of me. Um, And so, like, those are two things that are, like, hopeful to me in the movie, but, like, it still feels bleak in the immediate sense. <laughs> uh, that's fair. So I, my answer is a little more complicated. I do want to say that my answer for this is very different in the manga versus this. Uh, and I, that's, I think that's fine because they're very different works uh, fundamentally. But for me, like in my heart, I don't, I think the ending is like a thing that I don't believe in. Like you, you have, uh, Tomekia who's invading, uh, for reasons that the movie never really gets into other than they're a warlike empire who is trying to expand their territory or whatever. Um, they want the big robot. Uh, you have Pajit who are aggrieved because their homeland was destroyed. They're willing to destroy anyone to make sure that no one uses the bomb, right? Like, uh, mm. and then you have everyone's overarching fear of the bugs, the Ohm specifically, and their willingness to kill themselves in an effort to destroy what they see as like an outside aggressor. And the movie posits this idea that like 
this is a misunderstanding. And if these people could just like listen to Nausicaa's message of compassion, they'll all be moved and everyone can shake mm. hands and fly away. And I don't believe that that's the world we live in. Like, you know, not to reference the other podcast, but a large part of the journey of watching Gundam is seeing a show that repeatedly bangs you over the head with the idea that liberalism is a lie and it will lead you to ruin. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's what this ending is on paper. However, also, every time I watch this movie, when the music swells at the end and everyone shakes hands and goes home, I cry. And yeah. <laughs> those two things are just true. And so does it give me hope? Yes. Do I think does it, do I think that hope is like a real thing that can be built upon? Yes. Do I think this movie like reflects the reality of our world? Eh, no, but I don't think the fiction has to be the logical endpoint of all its suppositions for me to think it's good. Like, it's fine if it makes a leap that it doesn't follow through with. It's my job to take the feelings I felt and my own perception of the world and make that leap instead. Like, if Miyazaki knew how to get everyone to actually agree and stop destroying the planet, he would be running a government and not making movies, right? (laughs) Right, right. Uh, so I wouldn't oh. look for those solutions from him. Uh, just like, you know, shouldn't look for those solutions from anyone who isn't like having a real plan and is something that you're willing to invest in. But that doesn't make the feelings not real or valid. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's worth keeping in mind. Uh, well, and like everybody is united at the end of the movie because Nasca literally like fulfills a magical prophecy in front of them. And like, that is not a real thing that can happen in the real world. But the, yeah, the feelings are still also like, it is kind of weird that the other two like factions care about this prophecy at all. Cause like, I understand the Valley of the Winds, like all oh, the prophecy, but Kushan be like, mm-hmm. what prophecy? And then blow Nosk out of the sky, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I understand would make a much worse movie, but I'm just saying this is the situation. <laughs> uh, and then we have one more email uh, from my friend Cassie wrote in uh, saying this was uh, her second time watching Nausicaa. Um, the first time was watching it during a Studio Ghibli month on Turner Classic Movies around 2006, uh, which would be crazy to see all those together. Yeah. Um, and then do you think this uh, movie had any influence on Legend of Zelda? Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> a thousand yes. percent. Um <laughs> Nasca scavenging around the wastelands reminded me of Rey in Star Wars uh, 7. J.J. Abrams literally was like, yeah, no, that Nasca. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think the bugs are cute? The bugs are so cute. They're very good. We stand. Um, and would you recommend that people have only seen the movie check out the manga? That one, because uh, if you listen to our episode, we get into the spoilers. So I don't think it's like you should listen to that before you read the manga. I think if you understand that the manga is really messy and big and... Miyazaki is not a mangaka like he's an animator and a director and I don't think it's like the best made story in the world and I think it's much it's much bleaker and more pessimistic than the movie is but I I think it's really good and I think it comes to some Mm. of the same conclusions and I think it goes I think it does take those steps past what I said is the like failure of imagination at the end of this movie um, and suggests a answer that would uh, you know, not be too dissimilar to dropping an asteroid from space. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe sometimes violence is uh, necessary to when you're a- up against uh, state violence. I'm just saying. Maybe. Anyway. Um. Yeah, I would. I would definitely say read the manga if you can get a hold of it. There's reasonably affordable, given how big they are. Books. Uh, I think it's like 
40 50 for the two giant hardcovers um they're huge they're huge i i want them yeah. i don't have them <laughs> i would really like them though my uh my library back in my hometown had them mm-hmm. and so i like have held them in my hand several times and have thought i should read this <laughs> and never did um yeah i am interested in reading the manga now and i'm probably gonna start picking at it like i said just because like it sounds like there's gonna be a lot of like ideas there to like chew on and think about even if it's not gonna be like i don't expect it to like weigh on my mind in the same way that the like movie does like i don't expect it to be like my favorite thing in the world you know Mm -hmm. it's just like more nausicaa stuff and like more like just hanging out in that world a little a little longer sounds good to me so yeah yeah uh, so that's it. Again, if you have questions, podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Um, next time we're going to be watching Castle in the Sky. Looking forward to that. I don't know anything about that movie. Oh, okay. It, it's good. Nothing. It's the first It's the first official Ghibli movie, so there you go. Yeah. Um, again, it has like a Disney uh, stacked uh, voice cast uh, starring James Vanderbeek and Anna Paquin. Okay, because <laughs> that one Mark was Hamill's made. in that movie. Yeah, apparently. I'm. Yeah, Mark Hamill's in this one. So you know. Yeah, he has a bit role in this movie. Yep. Um, um, so please look forward to that. We will. I will try to watch both uh, again. Um, and I think that's everything. Do you want to do some plugs? Yeah. Um, so uh, you could find me on Twitter at Allison underscore Coffee. That's A L I S O N underscore Coffee. Um, there, um, is a brand new pin tweet with links to all my podcasts, uh, to my Patreon, um, which is my main podcast and the Patreon are both called Export Audio, uh, which is a, like, comedy podcast I do with my girlfriend. We're gonna start reading Star Wars EU books. Un- she thinks we're gonna do all of them. I hope we do all of them. I'm it would Not take convinced. it would take we... beyond your lifetime to do all of them. So I don't think you're going to do all of them, but I'm really excited to listen to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> We're going to uh our first episode should be sometime this month, uh which will be about the novelization of A New Hope and Splinter of the Mind's Eye. <laughs> because Alan Dean Foster was really on one for a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's me. M, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. You can find all my podcasts at abnormalmapping.com, where we do host some shows that are not by me or Jackson, because it's our network. Uh, and one of them I want to talk about was called is called Seasons. It's a movie podcast uh, that my friends Emma and Grace do. And I wanted to point it out because they are doing a Miyazaki retrospective. They started several months before us. Uh, and it was one of the reasons I really was like, I should rewatch all those. I haven't watched a lot of them in a long time. And then you came with the idea of let's do the Ghibli movies. So if you'd like mm-hmm. to hear some other people talk about specifically the Miyazaki films, um, and it's... I think it's their first time for most of these. So they're mm-hmm. going in blind for a lot of it. Uh, you can go to abnormalmapping.com slash seasons movie pod. Uh, I like them. They're nice podcasts. Uh, yeah. I downloaded the Nausicaa episode and I'm going to listen to it after I put this one up. The Cagliostro episode was really good. So. Yeah. And uh, in the, I'll have a link in the description for that and to the beach house episode about the manga if you've only watched the movie, that episode spoils the manga a lot. So, you know, 
just mm. be warned. We do just talk about the whole thing because that's kind of what that podcast is. Uh, yeah. But uh, that's everything for me. Yeah. Um, we still don't have a sign off for this podcast, huh? No.